we go. Welcome to Polymath Podcast, and this time it is actually episode nine. It's really number nine. It is really number nine. Test, test, test. I don't test. know why we thought it was... I don't know. Number nine last, uh, last week? I don't know, actually. Yeah. We need to check and make sure that we get that spot on. Yeah. But I've had lots of um, lots of messages saying, where's the podcast? It's late. Well, it is late, yeah. yeah. So I, I was away in Plymouth <laughs> over the weekend, and uh, didn't get back till uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday. And then, uh, yeah, today's the earliest we can do it. So we're both here anyway. And uh, this is episode nine. Testing, testing, one, two, three, toast, so toast. you are? I am. <laughs> I am Ashley Callum, and you can find me on Twitter at UK. That's right, yeah, Calisthenics. And AF Mylack. Yeah, at, yeah, at, at AF Mylack. At AF Mylack. Oh, yeah, no spaces. And you are? Uh, Chris Fozzin. No, you're Chris Fozzin. <laughs> so what's yours again? Uh, at Chris Fozzin. Yeah, it's not difficult. At Chris Fozzin. <laughs> I'm Chris Frosting on everything. Uh, so at Chris Frosting on Twitter. And you can find the podcast at, at PolymathCast on Twitter. And uh, just search for us on Facebook as well, because you can find us on Facebook. Yeah. I'm Chris Frosting Photography on Facebook. And have you got an AF Mylack I've got Complete Calisthenics on Facebook, uh, AF Mylack on Facebook, and that's about it. You see Kaylee shared your calisthenics on Damien Walters. Yeah, page. yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she, yeah cool. she got in touch with me ages ago saying, oh, you know, if you want me to do that, I can. Yeah, and, um, yeah, just came through the other day. Um, so I've got those guys are really busy. Fingers um, crossed as well. I've got um, I've got a photo shoot with Damien's girlfriend uh, Heidi. Yeah, because she's uh, a stunt, stunt woman, stunt stuff. Well, isn't she? Yeah, so I'm going to do her portfolio photos kind of thing for wow. her stunt work, and then fingers crossed, maybe that would go into uh, some work with Damien as well. That's That'd be kind of cool. cool. Yeah. He's a very cool guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, very cool guy. Awesome. It was because uh, we used to go down there and train at the gym, didn't we? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, a gym He um, was really cool, actually. He was, well, the was he doing the one. He was doing the one-handed muscle-up. Because he was doing like an X, it. an X shape. Oh, the X one. I think he had his, his arms in an X shape. He had his hands um, crossed. Over. I've never done a muscle-up with the your hands facing towards you before. Um, but, right, oh yeah, that was, was solid, wasn't it? It was completely different. So I, you almost get your chest or your stomach yeah. on the bar. Um, so you got to do it like you've almost got to do a chin-up really quick. And pull pull it into your yes, tummy. Yes, it was very, very... Pull it into your stomach and then kind of lean over, wasn't it? Yeah. It was really hard. Takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah, I remember that one. But no, that was really cool. We've got a few things down. We, uh, I got the other day... Um, it's a really cool book. It's called The Screenwriter's Bible by David uh, Trottier. Or Trottier? Trottier. Trottier. I'd, I'd say Trottier. Trottier. Um, it's probably Trottier it's Massive, America. massive book. Huge volume. Um, so why have, you, why have you bought it? Well, why I wanted why to have know... you got The Screenwriter's Bible? A little bit more about the, the, the mainly the structure and the process by which you format it. Because I, I mean, I've got Final Draft on my Mac, um, which, you know, which you can just write straight into, and that's um, that's one that kind of breaks it down, so it gives you square brackets for. It does everything settings, for you, yeah. Like yeah, it does everything for you. So you know, you, you can um, uh, because there has to be a uh, standard format for, yeah. for a for a screenplay because there's so many different people that need to read off it: a director, producer. Um, Camera crew, uh, set design, actors, everybody. I'll do the obvious one. So it has actors. to be, uh, yeah, walking, walking props, <laughs> walking, <laughs> talking props. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah so it. It, it, it's very, very cool. I mean, I've, um, I'm only at page, what, 40, 42, 43. Um, 400, was it? Yeah, it's not 400, 400 pages. pages. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a hefty massive. book. But it's it's brilliant because it uses all recent examples uses classic examples of films that everybody's seen, especially that I've seen. Um, so from what you've read, does it break down the way 
the story's been structured uh, and the similarities between okay so because obviously the only the only thing that I know of film uh, kind of structure everything um, is act one act two and act three so act one is the settings act two is like a massive disaster and a challenge and then act three is the conclusion and they overcome it all and it's all a happy ending well hey apart from yeah. the Empire Strikes Back um, but does it go? Does it go beyond that? Does it take you? Does it take you further and explain those? Is it? Is it always those three acts, or does it go further into all that? It it can be. I mean, I've, I don't think we have got far enough in yet. But from what I've read, um, obviously David Trottier says that he has seven um, uh, plot points. Okay. He, I think he calls them plot points, um, and they are. Um, here we go. Uh, they're the backstory, the catalyst, the big event, the midpoint, the crisis, the showdown. And the realization. Um, you spelt realization with a Z. Yeah, no, it's because it's American. Getting, you can write it down with an S. <laughs> so have you have you got your spelling on your Mac as American, so you can fit into all the American screenplays? Uh, I don't know. I think it's set to. Uh, so you can still you can spell things it. properly. Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, okay. I'm good at spelling grammar. Okay, I think. <laughs> Um, I'm just wondering because so you... I think he said. <laughs> did you say if you send a screenplay out with color with a, with no U in it? Is it you're going to get marked down by? The oh no, not if, you, not if you send it to America. No. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I, I would have thought that as the movie industry is, you know, the vast majority of it is American, or it, it, it's well, I mean, I don't know if it is. I mean, I suppose they Hollywood is famous around the world, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, I suppose if they read aluminium, they'll just kind of correct it and read it themselves. Yeah, aluminium. Aluminium, man, and oregano. Basil. Basil. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I guess you know, sort of the back, the backstory, the catalyst, and the big event. I think the big event occurs right at the end of Act, act one, one. I think. Okay. Then there's the, the midpoint, midpoint and crisis. Crisis. Yeah, and then the showdown realization. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but it's helped massively, um, and also the fact that um, a lot of stories are the same, or, or, or is by especially film, you know, screen based, because yeah. you have to have, um, you have to have a main character. They have to have a clear and specific goal. They have to. Have, there has to be strong opposition to that goal. Yeah. There has to be a crisis. It has to be emotionally satisfying. The ending. You know. You don't want to watch a film where you feel cheated or. Yeah. You know. You get to the end. Oh, it was all just a dream. I hate dream. those films. So, stuff like that. They know. came out in the late nineties. Um, so I mean, I'm just trying to do a, a simple one. He 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 says films like Pulp Fiction uh, would have taken a long time to write, and they have a very specific structure. Yeah. Uh, and even though it might look a bit random, it's it's absolutely not. I read um, something about Pulp... Was it Pulp Fiction I read the other day? Yes, it was. Pulp Fiction. Um, this is genius. If this is if this is right, and it's not like coincidental and accidental, it's absolutely genius. In Pulp Fiction, where um, Mia Wallace is talking to um, John Travolta's character, I can't remember his name at the moment, and she's um, telling him... Vincent Vega. Vincent, Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega. <laughs> um, she's telling him about the TV series that she did. Can you remember that? And she says, "I was I was the dude who was good with um, swords." And then there was so and so who was uh, a oh, I can't remember an explosive expert. And um, she she went through all the characters, and uh, she said, um, "I I was the one that was good with swords." And I, every every episode, I told a joke. If you go through all those characters, those are all the characters in all the Kill Bill films. No way. So if you go through that, they they completely relate. So he's 
the, the, the Kill Bill the Kill Bill film. I had an idea for Kill Bill. Well, I've had the idea at that point. Even, even I think that's then, that's, I that's awesome. I mean, uh, that obviously happens in. I mean, the, the, you've got Toy Story and all the Pixar stuff, which kind of relate back to each other if you if you look closely. But things like that, I think it's cool mm. that he's kind of related that back to Kill Bill. And he's already already written it. I wonder how. I wonder how early people write things like that. What, how long before the, the film? Yeah, I mean, did he write? Did he write? I wonder whether he wrote Pulp Fiction knowing that he was going to write Kill Bill, or whether he'd already written Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction at the same time and just kind of processed them. At... It could have been. I don't know. I suppose. Maybe, I mean, I've got. I have a lot of ideas that maybe would I'll never get to work on. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure I'd probably take stuff from that and put it in other things. So maybe, maybe people like yeah, maybe you know, had the idea. And maybe has hundreds or thousands of ideas and. and and, and some of them he thinks are oh, they'll never get made, and then but they I'll do. Put it in a film, and then it then it links yeah. up like that. Maybe he thought he'd never yeah. make Kill Bill or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a good point. I have lo- like lots of ideas, and they kind of well, I'll, I'll put that idea in this film, and then actually I like that idea. I'll make it into a film. Yeah, I roll with that. That's kind of cool. But I mean, I've, I've been working on the the the, the screenplay idea, idea that I had. Um, but Can it, we go into that? Not too much, no, because otherwise I'll just get talking for. Ages. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of um, uh, solidifying a story, just reading that gave me like, all right, it has to be like it has to be this way now, because before it was a bit meandering, and I, I just yeah. had the idea, and there's no, there wasn't, there was a goal, but there wasn't. Well, you still, you, you know, still said that kind of having the plan and everything, and planning it all out, and and doing that has helped the writing this time round. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's helping you write this effort. So the. The, so you've got those seven, what, what did he call those? Seven plot points. Seven plot points. So he yeah, called them seven plot points. So if you, if you, because I've, I've read a little bit of the book um, just before the podcast and there was a line in it that said that only 10% of screenplays actually follow that. Yeah, he, that he right? says, I'll read this. So I'll if, read this, actually, if, if the screenplay really is, so he the says, screenplay is kind of agreed that it should follow as closely as you can to these. Gone and you read well, that. he says, um, if, if you write a script that features a character that has a clear and specific goal, uh, there is strong opposition to that goal, leading to a crisis and an emotionally satisfying ending, your script will automatically find itself in the upper 10%. So, which is why, obviously screenwriting isn't simple, writing isn't no. simple, but the rules seem to be simple. So, um, I've I've sort of made my the screenplay ideas that I had match yeah. that, and it makes it loads easier. Like so, I wrote one to five. Obviously, the main character is is soldier, uh, you know, John Smith or whatever. Yeah. Um, the clearest specific goal is to survive the the patrol. Yeah. The strong opposition to the goal crisis, is, blah, blah, is either blah. the enemy, the crisis, they are either ambushed or attacked or whatever. The mostly satisfying ending is they escape or. Um, something happens to the the main character that yeah. makes him, you know, resolve an internal conflict or something. Yeah. Um, and it seems pretty simple on the on the face of it, but but then obviously you know if you add in all this, but if you if you were to do think, then... if you were to do that because you planned out Zephyr really really well in terms of what was going to happen in each chapter and yeah. what was or, or I think it was what was going to happen in each chapter. Yeah. Or you had less... a number of the chapters kind of worked out. Yeah. Um and what characters you had and the their all their backstory individually you've already kind of had written out. If you then applied that to Zephyr, would that then would that, I'm trying to say would make like, a better book. Would, yeah, would it make would it make I... would it change what you've done now 
and would it make it a yeah, better I mean, book in terms of the story in your head? I mean, I'm going to go back and have a look at it, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because the one thing I can relate to on this is, obviously, um, I do lots of photography, um, and there's various rules, in inverted commas, that you follow when you're taking a photograph, or when you're making a photograph, because you don't take photographs, you make photographs. Um, so the, the obvious one that everybody knows is the rule that's of a, that's thirds. That's a good distinction. Yeah, I never thought about it before. Make a photograph. You don't take a photograph. Um, <laughs> so everybody knows the rule of thirds. So you have the subject off onto, onto one of the uh, the thirds of the, of the frame um, or one of the interjections of the thirds. Uh, you've got contrast, uh, bringing focus to the subject. Uh, you've got leading lines leading you into the subject. You've got all these different compositional rules. But... It's okay to break them. So you're okay to put somebody bang in the middle of the frame, or you're okay to put something or a form in the middle of the frame, but you have to know why you're doing that. So I'm guessing that as long as soon as you know these rules, nine times out of ten you're going to follow them. But if you break them, it's okay to break them if you know why you're breaking them. Yeah. So if it's part of, like I could put something right in the middle of the of the photograph if I knew that the story that I was trying to tell in that photograph needed it to be in the middle. So if it was very, very symmetrical, it was a, if it was a very, very symmetrical... Um, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, so if you Car were taking a front? Possibly. I'd still, I'd still kind of do that from the rule of thirds because you'd have the headlights on one of the third intercept intersections. Right, okay, I see. Um, yeah. But if you were taking a photograph of an occult symbol... So a very, very big circular pentagon or something. Yeah. Pentagram. Pentagram? Pentagram. Pentagram, yeah. pentagram. If you were taking a photograph of a pentagram from the top, you would possibly be able to put that bang in the middle with a with a row of lights around the outside, candles around the outside. So drawing attention to it through the contrast. But you'd be okay to put that in the middle because of the layout and the symmetry of the photograph in the first place. Um, so I'm guessing that like the ten percent, the upper ten percent that are following the rules are very, very good script. I'm trying to think of a script that possibly doesn't follow those rules, which is really, really cool. I mean, there must be a few. There's, I mean, he's mentioned some in there. To be I can't remember, but he says... There's bound to be some, but then they're going to be... Rules, yeah, they're going to be the exception. Yeah, I mean, only in so far as people want the film to work. Yeah, they're the exception that proves the rules, almost. Hmm. And he also says... He made a really big point at the, right at the beginning that um, screenplays are a visual medium. Yeah. He says, you know, if you, in a book, you might write something them. like... Um, uh, I think he gives the example of of, uh, of a murderer or or, or, or uh, um, somebody coming into uh, somebody's home. There's a child upstairs playing with their dolls or something. Yes. Um, uh, the TV's on or something downstairs, and the woman's uh, cutting some paper shapes out w- with some scissors. Um, and the way you describe it in a book and on screen are completely different. On screen, it's a very um, tense thing, and it might only yeah. take like a a few. I don't know, a, a few seconds or whatever for him to come in and maybe sort of 30 seconds of, of film time and it's very tense and a lot is, is explained in 30 yeah. seconds whereas in the book or some other medium you take a lot longer than that. Yeah. Or like I think he, the example he used was a play because okay. that's, even though that is a visual medium it's longer and <clears> it's, um, you'd see everything and there's more dialogue. It's in, a, it's in a film there's less dialogue. Um, Unless you're watching a Kevin Smith film. In which yeah. case, it's all dialogue. But yeah, but yeah, then but that's the exception to the to the rule. Yeah, and it's it's not, and it works. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> uh, so and I think, but like he says, we were going to talk about rules versus guidelines, were we? Yeah. Um, 
which got me thinking as well about rules versus guidelines. You know, is there a specific way to do something? Should you do it that way? You know, guidelines, they're kind of. But then well, again, I think, I think the the difference between a rule and a guideline, like a guideline can almost be shunned underneath the, uh, under the table kind of thing, and you can ignore it. Whereas you don't ignore the rule; you break it on purpose. Yeah. So you know that the rule is there, but you break it on purpose. Whereas a guideline is just like, yeah, I'm not going to follow that. That's mm. it's yeah. Would you would you consider those as guidelines or rules? For this, for for uh, this, because it's the first screenplay I've ever written, yeah, and attempted gonna to write, stick I, I'll to. use them as the rules, and it just so happens that it it I can make the plot fit. Um, or, well, I should say I can make those rules fit the plot, yeah, and, and vice versa. Um, so I'll keep it like that because uh, you know I suppose now is not the first screenplay isn't the time to try and do try and break the rules, yeah, totally, totally. or like a, like a something really complex because I just don't yeah. have the experience or, or or the knowledge of what I'm doing. Yeah, because yeah, Tarantino was just ridiculously talented yeah. at that. Because point he knows what he knows how that film's gonna or how that screenplay is going to. Um, Do you think that was the first? Up? Was that the yeah. first film of its type? Like Reservoir Dogs was Reservoir Dogs the first film of that sure. kind of. I want to say disjointed, and illogical. Can't think of what was before it. When was Memento filmed? Memento was after that. Way after that. Wow, that was it. Yeah, did like that. Yeah, I can't remember whether you talk, talk, good, we yeah. talked about that. Oh yeah, we did, because we were talking about um, yeah. uh, wrapping up the plot in, in the last paragraph. Yeah. Because that wraps it up in literally the last scene, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, I think... Um, yeah, I, I think for this one I follow the rules. But in, in other... You know, it's like... It's like the TV series idea that I had and I, I want to... Well, I'm continuing, continuing to pursue. It, it, you know, I was speaking to my dad and he's, he's um, written a couple of TV screenplay ideas really? before. They're not being published, but they were kind of like com- comedies, yeah. like slapstick comedies, mo- mostly visual gags and things. <laughs> um, and he was saying, oh, you know, they won't want to take a big risk. You write something a bit simpler or something. But if I do something, I like to kick the ass out of it. So yeah, yeah. I didn't want to do, oh, just, you know, just a simple documentary or something for the BBC or some like, you know, for, for five o'clock on the afternoon. It's something easy. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to do that. I, did, didn't, want I, I didn't want to do, TV. yeah, I didn't want to do local TV. I wanted to go, if I'm going to do something properly, then do HBO go for global. big time. You know, yeah. it, it, you know, it's it's not going to be. Well, you've almost got to preempt. It's not what the next to... big thing is going to be. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, it's not, at the moment. It's, it's not... all this sci, uh, um, not sci fantasy, uh, the Game of, Game of Thrones kind of thing. It's all that kind of yeah um, era and genre at the moment. So you've got to try and find the next big thing. And uh, uh, the amount of changes and innovation that's happening in the space programs at the moment is probably going to be some kind of. Sci-fi space, yeah, future, and I just thought I want to see something that hasn't necessarily been done before. I mean, loads of science documentaries have been done before, but I wanted to do it slightly differently or very or very differently. Um, <coughs> you know, and I think uh, yeah, there there are the times when I uh, well yeah, you break the rules. I mean, it's not my main source of income. I don't, if it doesn't get anywhere, I don't have to worry about it. It, it. It's, but then if it does do, if it does get picked up, it does do well. I think it would probably do very well, or, or yeah. at least okay. You know, um, I could see it being very good. Yeah, I mean, if it, you got if you got all the uh, all I the think, plot points correct. Yeah, I think you'd have to like the TV series. It would have to be the t- the whoever took it on would have to kick the ass out of it as well. Yeah. You couldn't do it half ass because yeah. then it wouldn't work. It would defeat the object of making it in the first place. Because it's I'm very like, it's it's probably very simple to turn it into a play. 
because play is uh, when when you when you're doing a play and when you're performing a play, there's lots of things that represent yeah. stuff. So this table represents a spaceship. This 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 um, papier mâché snake represents a snake. I mean, the series would be entirely visually yeah. unless if the visuals weren't up to up to snuff, then it would wouldn't be believable. No, wouldn't be it worth wouldn't it work. So you couldn't do a representative thing anyway. It'd have to be no. very. It'd have to be ultra realistic, right. hyper realistic almost. I mean, the, the chances are that no one will ever want to take something like that on. But somebody might think, well, there's. Hey, if another, if yeah. if Interstellar kind of kickstarts a, a space revolution almost, and there's people going around and going, okay, well. Um, this screenplay and, and this TV series has, has already been written about space, so we're going to do that one. And then yours kind of drops in. The, and, and TV channels are, are looking for and trying to find the next space I mean, TV's one. catching up with you know, movies. Uh, I, th- I think there's a lot. production quality. Yeah, I, think there's a, I think that there's probably better TV series and programmes on at the moment than there are movies. Yeah. If yeah, you I look agree, at things yeah. like Game of Thrones and, and um, The Wire, which I kind of got into but fell off. Um, but it is epically good and horror, American Horror Story I'm still a massive fan of that it's just mental well I mean the, the missus has been watching Sons of Anarchy yeah um, that's that's really good Breaking well. Bad I've still not watched that but Bro, apparently yeah. that's just mentally cool yeah I watched I, watched, I haven't so, finished uh, watching all of Breaking Bad yet um, speaking of speaking of films that you need to watch I watched uh, a Danny Boyle film which came out 2013 Danny Dyer. I would not be watching wow. a Danny Dyer film. Uh, I would yeah. probably walk out of the house right now if I had. Um, I watched a Danny Boyle film that was filmed last year, 2013, and nobody went to see it. It flopped at the cinema, um, but I can't remember where I found it. I think I was looking for un- unknown. I, th- I did, a, did a quick search, unknown films that I should watch, I think, something like that, and it popped up, and it was ten films that you'd probably missed that you should, you should give a go kind of thing. And it's called Trance. T-R-A-N-C-E, so as in uh, hypnotic trance. And it's awesome. (laughs) It's really, really cool. And I don't know why it flopped, because obviously Danny Boyle's done so many. He did Sunshine and and, um, uh, what was the one with the guy who cut his hand off? Uh, He got stuck in a rock. 127 days. 127 days, something like that. Oh, hours, not days. 127 days without an hour. No, 127 hours. Did he do 28 days later? Was that Boyle? Couldn't tell you. I can't remember actually. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I can't remember it's him. But anyway, he he did all those massive, like global blockbusters, and then trance flop. It's really really cool. It's got um, James McAvoy and Rosario Dawson in it. Rosario Dawson is naked in most of it. I say most of it. One scene, Reason depending I on it. yeah, depending on how you watch it. Most of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, no, very very cool film. Very cool. Uh, and Dialogue's that fast that is <laughs> that again is one that's tied up in the last scene. I just seem to like films that seem to be tied up in the last scene. Like Memento's mm. awesome, but yeah, Trance tied up in literally the last scene. It's awesome. Oh, I am glad to see that. So, um, film recommendation of the week: Trance. Go and uh, legally John. buy it on Amazon. I think I've seen any decent ones actually. Uh, we went to watch The Hobbit, which was okay. Just okay, because I've heard shocking reviews of it. It was all right. I got it, it a bit was... disappointed. I don't know why they do these kind of like. Um, at one point, there was uh, the dwarves from the Iron Hills uh, uh, cut, and that's why it's called the Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah. At one point, there are sort of five, five armies. armies. Um, and it's it's uh, Brian Connolly. Right. Is it Brian Connolly? Uh, Scottish. Is it Brian? 
Billy Connolly. Brian Connolly. Oh, I was going to say Brian Connolly. Billy okay. Connolly. Billy Connolly. Billy, Billy Connolly. Okay. Um, he's playing a dwarf, but it's obviously CGI'd. The face and everything. I mean, it's obviously maybe it's his. His. I was thinking, there's so many other actors in the world. What? And it's obvious until it's until you can get a CGI character looking convincingly human. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Because you see right through it, and I just think gimmick. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought. I saw it. I thought gimmick. The, yeah, they've they got him in because it's Billy wh- whatever. I mean, I've never, I've never thought. Oh, that's that a shame. Comedy anyway, but it, it was, and it was, it was blatantly CGI. See, I, I never knew because I've read the book when I was eleven. Um, I, it was one of the first big books that I read, and I loved it. It was brilliant, and I could never quite see how they were going to string it out over three movies. It seemed almost like, well, we've done a trilogy on Lord of the Rings because of three books. Kaching. Um, why don't we do a trilogy? It, I don't know, The Hobbit screened two two films to me, and then the, and um, from what I hear, it's strung out, and it's very lengthy, and the ending just goes on and on and on. And I mean, they must have they must have put a few things into, they must have inserted a few sort of stories. I mean, I know the is it the uh, the elf Tariel is yeah. not, not that's no. that's a, a created character and stuff, and I can kind of see why I did that because otherwise it's just sausage fest the whole way through. Sausage fest. Um, I think they, yeah, I, th- I don't, I don't even know how many, what else is there females are in The Hobbit, I don't think there's any, is there, the actual story, uh, it's not many. I can't think of any off the top um, of my I head. I think that's probably why they, why they did it, which I suppose you need, you know, this day and age, you need some sort of... So the next thing is, will they, are they going to do a film about the Silmarillion? I don't know if it's popular, is it popular enough? I don't think so. I'll, maybe a lot of people I don't can't think even say it. knows about it. No, no, I, mean, I haven't um, read all of it. No, I don't um, think, I've, I've, I've not read half of it. I think I've got a quarter of the way through, third of the way through. So I don't know what I don't know why they do that. Uh, why? Because it it, it it ruined it for me. Because it's so. Like, well, it's almost that... ruined the franchise now. That's yeah. the last. That's the, that's blatantly the last film they're ever going to make. And I mean, all all the people that I know who've been to see it, who I respect their views. I don't respect your views, so I don't really care what you said. That <laughs> 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 that I respect their views. I've all said, I've oh no, it's, it. it's it's not very good. Um, it's really disappointing CGI-wise. The storyline is just like completely drawn out and lengthy, and it's depressed me and disappointed me so much that I don't really want to go and see it. There's one bit as well that was just I thought, I'm like, well, this, this is, is this is not Hollywood level like standard filmmaking. Was was the um, the bit with Sauron? It's just in the in the second film. Do you remember when he uh, Gandalf was sort of facing off against him? Yeah. And he's caught like his eye, the flame coming through, and it's yeah. sort of repeating. It wasn't it wasn't scary. The music was the music of that bit was just like duh, 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 duh. It, it was just okay. rubbish. It wasn't scary. It, it didn't have any um, emotional impact. Because one of the know, things um, I thought they did really well in the Lord of the Rings film is how they made the ring the villain. Like every time the yeah. ring was on the screen, it was there was that base bass note that drummed through and it had a bit of vibrate and tiny the, bit of vibration on the camera it just made had, that there ring there is uh, dialogue for, for Sauron when um, I think when Frodo puts on the ring in, or it slips onto his yes. yeah, yeah. On, in the uh, in the green dragon yeah. no not the green dragon uh, I know what you mean Prancing um, Pony is it Prancing Pony Prancing Pony Prancing Pony I think it was Prancing Pony yeah in Brie yeah um and you can hear him, and he says something like, uh, "You don't hear it." And it, it, it I only, knew, I only realised when I watched the you watch it with DVD or, or Blu-ray, yeah, and I saw the subtitles, and he says something like, um, 
uh, there is no darkness in the void. There is yeah. only death or whatever, and yeah. a couple of other things. And that was that was really um, that was quite sort of dramatic and stuff, and not really scary. But it, it, you could tell yeah. it was like, right, this is this is a bad guy. But there's another bit in um, yeah, the five armies where um, Gladriel faces off against him, and it's just they do sort of like the reverse of the color. So her. Oh yeah, yeah. So negative, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the negative, yeah. Um, just looks really amateur. They, her voice goes a bit where they reverse it as well, and it yeah. sounds a bit sort of demonic. But it doesn't sound demonic. It, it sounds sort of cartoonish. Oh really? Because um, they did that in second film where she went down and tried to take the ring off Frodo. Uh, yeah, yeah, Frodo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought that looked horrendous then, and I don't know why they've done it in the last film because it, yeah. it looks really amateur. It's just like this is like a high school. I wonder whether they rushed it then. I wonder whether it was a rush production. But yeah, like you say, it's a shame because it's, it's got me a bit disappointed about the whole franchise, really, because I love those films. Uh, and and I, I, know every, I know everybody says there's only one trilogy in Star know, Wars. And I don't know... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how... I don't know how many people are involved in that process. I mean, is it only Peter Jackson that thinks, yeah, that looks bloody good, that is? Because if I was sitting in the room, I'd have said, that's why I said, that looks shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then what do I know? I mean, I... I'm a no one compared to. Well, I think there's Jackson. how many. Di- I I thought there were a lot of directors in it. I thought there was like Peter Jackson that was lead director, but then obviously one man can't direct the whole film. I think Andy Serkis so many... is a is a director. So he's you, so he gets um, heavily involved. That was was that um, the voice of what do we call it? Gollum. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. yeah he actually played Gollum as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I wonder that sometimes it just seems like they. It would be so e- with the source material. It's so easy to make a f- uh, an unbelievably polished film. You'd have thought so. You know, because the only bit I can remember watching, I remember watching the was it the original one, the the very very first Lord of the Rings, and they were running through the mines of Moria, and um, you could kind of go, okay, well that's that's CGI, and that was the only bit, pretty much in the first three films. Well, there's a bit where it's the only bit in the first three films that I think that I could that it didn't where, add up. I mean, you watch you watch on the horse. I don't know if you've seen that bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He fires yeah. The arrow against the wag yeah. and then sort of goes and around, catches on it and jumps. Yeah. Why? Because you'd never be able to make it look convincing. So don't do it. I don't know. Speaking of Legolas and his archery skills, oh, yeah. Because we we picked up um, that was planned. That was that transition there. That yeah, it was completely. Was it was just as you said that. I was like, actually, because we went to um, we went to pick up some uh, bows and arrows uh, last week. Because you got yours on the Monday, uh, and I went to have a look at some on the Friday. And uh, we were talking to the guy. I was a bit disappointed that we went to the place that we went to actually because it was a bit crap. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Naff. Yeah, uh, yeah and the guys were like, yeah, whatever. It's almost like, as do you, if do you, do you want do you want to sell bow and arrow? Yeah, it's almost as if oh god, you know, do we have to take your money? Yeah, that's the attitude, like, and yeah, I don't understand it was, it was that with a lot of businesses. So you yeah. went to a place called KG Archery in Nottingham, which was awesome, yeah, amazing. And amazing, they were yeah. like, they they stayed open for like an hour helping you after the close time. And then we went to a place on Friday called Merlin Merlin Archery, Merlin Archery in Loughborough, and it was just like completely opposite. And I was really disappointed because I like I like because it's it's one of those things that because um, we were trying to think of a word last week, weren't we, to describe cool stuff? That's well, archery is a, a cool skill. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go there and talk about this cool skill that we're, we're getting into, and they were just not interested. Just not interested at all. Um, and the guy was stringing a, um, he was hand stringing and hand twining a, a, um, 
what's it called? A bowstring. Uh, yeah, hand twining a, a bowstring bow. for a traditional longbow. Uh, and I asked him a couple of questions, and he was just like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm just doing this. It's really difficult. I'll be with you in a minute." And then, yeah. The, the other, yeah. And then the other guy who we were talking to gave a little bit more, uh, but again, even so, he wasn't particularly bothered. But he was. We, we were asking about archery in um, films, weren't we? Mm. And uh, whether whether things like Hunger Games have helped help the archery industry and it's like oh yeah loads we've been selling so much more yeah. as if it's like a, a like, oh, like, yeah well I mean, you don't have to make you know. yeah you don't you don't <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't have to kind of take advantage of the fact that hunger games has gone massive yeah um maybe people like that want to be they want to keep it like a small elitist sport I don't know, yeah. I, I don't know. or i mean cuz i've i've come across these sorts of people before where where they're kind of like veterans of whatever they're interested in be it archery or Whatever could be anything, um, and they're casting, and if you're, if casting you're, back on the good days. Yeah, if you're new c- coming in, they're like, oh, well, you know, um, yeah, there's loads of sort of you know, crappy beginners, or like it's like the noob yeah. attitude with yeah. video games. Oh, noobs. Well, yeah, very much. You know, so, yeah, you you started playing it, you know, once, and then you were like new to the video yeah. game or whatever it was first. Um, it's kind of like that that mentality, and I, I don't. Understand it. Yeah. Because really like the gaming, the gaming community in my, well, I don't know. Because the only one that I've experienced recently is Destiny, and the gaming community in Destiny is very, very good mm-hmm. uh, from my experience. But I think that the the actual target market for Destiny is actually quite old. I've yeah. not, I've not met any. Because the, the one thing that everybody always hears is that if you go and play COD or Halo or what was the other one, Gears of War. Then you get screamed at down or sworn at down the microphone by twelve-year-old American kids, uh, and it's like, well, I don't really want to go and do that. But Destiny doesn't seem to be that, and it seems to be a lot more of a mature audience. Whether that's because of the gameplay and the mechanics, mm. I don't know. Um, but then the community—why? Why can the community for things like archery not be the same? Why do you end up with? Are they snobs? No, they're not snobs. They're just. I don't think so. Man. Are they? I mean, that was a very different place. Maybe it's because they do so much online business that yeah. you know, the shop is kind of like a 5% of, of all their sales or something. But it so did just people coming out seem like a chore. Yeah. yeah, it would seem to seem like a chore. Whereas oh. I, went to K- I went to KG and they were, they couldn't be, it was family run business, they couldn't be more happy to help us and stuff like yeah. that. It, it, even to the fact that I was trying to sort of speed things along and, uh, and stuff and he was just sort of taking his time making sure yeah. we got the right bows, the right arrows, yeah. everything was the right draw, draw poundage and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, and I'd go back again there in a heartbeat. But I always, I always feel really bad for suggesting that we should go to Merlin rather than KG. Well, no, we had to, we had to but, see what uh, it was. It was uh, you've always got to kind of try, try different places, but um, I don't know. Mm. But he, he, was, he did say that, uh, what's her name, Jennifer Lawrence? Jennifer Lawrence, Lawrence's yeah. technique was very good because she worked and tried to learn it. And taught by like a world champion or yeah, something. Yeah, she was taught, taught by the American coach. American That's right. archery coach, yeah, wasn't she? Yeah. So Jennifer Lawrence was taught by the American Olympic archery coach. Legolas, I don't know what he was or who he was taught by, but apparently his technique is shocking. Um, but then he's a wood elf, so he doesn't really need good technique because he can just fire the arrow where he likes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's only got a fire. He's, he's just 20, got yeah, 20 yards. Complete, completely instinctive. Um, so in terms of in terms of archery, you're going. Are you going the, oh, what did they call it? It's two different types, isn't it? There's an instinctive and, I can't think what the other one's called now. I don't know what you call it. Um, um, uh, gap, gap archery. 
that what we call it? Gap archery. Gap. So one, gap is when gap. you aim. Okay. Uh, because you need to leave a gap, depending on how far away you are. So if you're really close, you leave a little gap to the centre. For the okay. arc, for the arc of the arrow. Whereas okay. if you're a long way away, when you're aiming, the point at which you're aiming on the bow, because you've got little mark, you put little marks. Yeah, so I your... I've put I've put marks about a centimetre apart down the the riser flat yeah down the riser the flat face of the bow that's, that, that's facing me so I can um, and I we were shooting just outside my yeah. door here weren't we in the little alley so you can then line lines. those lines up with the yeah I think from ten yards I think as long as I if the if the eleven or the mark with the eleven on because I wrote yeah. I think one to twelve I've got, I've got twelve marks that's just it's not for any reason it's just how many I could fit on the riser yeah um, if I put the yellow mark on the eleven firing slightly downhill. It would hit the yellow almost well, yeah. every, every time. It, you, were you were getting pretty, you were getting pretty accurate. Right? Yeah. Um, um, so that's called gap. That's called gap archery. Right. So, because if you have a sight, if you if you have a sight on your recurve, it's a single sight, so you can't move it up and down. It's not like a, um, it's not like a one to twelve. Yeah. You leave it somewhere, but then when you're firing, you leave a gap depending on. So if you're firing fifty yards, you need to leave a pretty big gap. Um, because you're firing the bow and arrow up I'm, yeah. I'm doing the action at the moment showing you yeah. um, whereas instinctive archery is uh, when I was when I was reading about it and watching about it on um, a few places they likened it to or the best the best kind of analogy I had was they likened it to baseball and throwing a ball so if you're playing catch with your dad or you're playing catch with somebody or you're throwing a ball to third base you pick the ball up you don't look at anything that you're doing you look at where you're throwing it and then your body knows what kind of trajectory, how hard, how fast, and everything you need to throw the ball. And everybody knows that you can throw a ball pretty Just accurately. Repetition. Yeah. I mean, if I was playing catch with you, yeah, you play a little bit of catch. If I was throwing a catch with you, I think I, I think every shot would be straight into hand, 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 hand yeah. to hand. So the idea is that you look where you want to fire the arrow, and then with enough repetition, your arms and your body, as long as you've got the same, what's that called? Uh, anchor, uh, point. anchor point. Yeah. So the anchor point is where you pull back to, and lots of them is the corner of the mouth, and you see lots of arteries yeah. in the corner of the mouth and the tip of the nose. So as long as the anchor point's the same, uh, because that needs to, you need to have some kind of repetition on that. As soon as, as long as that anchor point is the same, then the body can figure out the trajectory and the the pound because the poundage is always going to be the same. So it's going to figure yeah. out the tra trajectory and the angle that you need to fire at. Uh, and so it's that, like that one seems feedback, isn't yeah. It really? So that one seems a little bit more comfortable for me because I was really struggling with the aiming thing. Mm. Um, so I'm going to try and go that way, which obviously is going to be a lot more arrows. <laughs> I'm going to need to fire a lot more arrows. Yeah, but so, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's still good. It's still it's, cool. It's, I don't think it's well. It's not obviously any any one way. I mean, I, th I think because I'm, I'm I think I'm going to graduate towards um, compound bows, and so maybe in six months, a year time or something. Yeah, we've made a deal. And obviously, that that will be. I aim on those ones because the yeah. arrow, because the arrows fly a lot faster, you know, yeah. sort of 300, 350 feet per second in, in some some cases. Then um, the trajectory is a lot flatter. Yeah. So you know, I think like your mate was saying, um, you know, with with a compound, you just aim and fire, and it goes where you're aiming. Yeah. You know, obviously, there is a little bit of a, a, yeah. of a curve, but you know, lot. once it gets to sort of hundred yards, hundred fifty yards, whatever. Crazy distances. These, so we've made a deal that if we're still doing it in six to eight months, oh, it will be. I'll, I'll definitely be yeah, doing it. Then uh, we're going to keep practicing. Then you're going to look towards a compound because I was trying to 
be devil's advocate and try and make you use a compound when we went down yeah, on Friday. Oh, my God, I was like, oh, I don't need like, oh you should way. just try a compound, knowing that if you tried it, he'd buy it. And then the missus would flail me. Yeah. yeah, but they're small. You can hide them. Yeah, I could have done, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> she would never have known. And I could have shot other times. But, yeah. you know, I think... Yeah, no, but, it's, it's, I, th- I think we've done the right thing. Suppose we got for 55 the boat, quid. The, the, so cheap. It was so cheap. Yeah. Um... Well, well, we said. I mean, fifty-five quid might be. Well, it is a lot of money. I suppose a lot of people. But um, for what for what you're getting, fifty-five quid yeah. is, is it's, it's yeah. the quality. You know, they last a long time. They're not going to just break after five minutes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so no, it was very cool. And uh, we're going to do a little bit more afterwards. After this, we're going to go go out. Uh, hopefully, the wind's going to stop. It's looking a little bit windy outside. Oh yeah, just there. Um, but no, it's very very cool. So I'm going to. I've got um, got five arrows to try and fire. So I had, I had yeah. uh, a few other things. I had multiple projects. Yeah, go on. Let's hit that. that kind of we've we've kind of touched on it before. Because I have, um, but now we're kind of a little bit further down the line in terms of projects that we're running. Yeah, I mean, so I have novels, non-fiction stuff, screenplays, TV stuff, other non-fiction books that I've got. What's it like being that creative that you just keep coming up with ideas? It's okay, but you, sure? you go through. No, no, it's just um, you struggle to, or I struggle to work out um, work on. exactly what to work on, yeah. And I so don't when, want... when you have an idea, do you write it down in a brief, or do you try and write a I might few just more? write a title down. Just write so a title I've, down. I've so got, got... I think I've got a sheet now up on my wall, and it's got seven or eight or nine, maybe ten projects on there, that, that, or ten things that I want to do. Yeah. Um, so you don't go any further than just the title? Sometimes I sometimes I go a bit further, yeah. The title will just. But then I, yeah, I've got that book, and I hadn't worked on you know the screenplay for um, I don't know two or three weeks. But that's that's just reignited my interest in it. And yeah. But I might you know, I might I might sort out the framework for it, and then not really touch it for another another few. Then she you know, she was saying, well, you know, your publishers asked you to do a second edition of of, uh, of a pull up yes. book. Yeah. I did, which I want to do, but it's it wouldn't be my first choice. Well, you need to get fitter as well because you can't do it, can you? At the moment. Oh yeah, but well, I've, I think I've got a costochondritis. Is that what it's called? I think I've seen. Well, that's the only official term I can see. It's like a, a cracking of your of your sternum, um, especially it's horrible on a, when you do especially it, especially on a stretch, and it started to get painful. Yeah. Um, I also get it when uh, transitioning through a muscle up dips, tricep dips. Really? Uh, and some. Because did the, only some handstand work. That, was the that, calisthenic shoot? Was that the catalyst for it? It could, it could have been. It, so it, it can be anything. I've I've heard of real strong guys or yeah, real fit or athletes. They'll do something and just twin something. Um, I remember doing a bit of a, a, a when I used to do a bit of Olympic weightlifting. Um, the coach there, Sumo, said, "If you're gonna hardly any injuries happening happen during the lift, hardly any. So yeah. it'll happen when, when you're taking." Down. Uh, no, not even when you take. Oh, really? Okay. When you're taking weights off, yeah. you, say if the bar's not in the right place, you try and drag it sideways. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're not, your body's not in an efficient um, yeah. a mechanical advantage, and you'll pull something or you'll twist and do it. Then so out, is that because you're Olympic yeah. weightlifting? Because because you're lifting so much weight, but you're doing it correctly. Your muscles are kind of tuned into the yeah, correct mechan- biomechanics. So when yeah, exactly. when they're pulled away from the correct biomechanic, then they they, yeah. they strain and pop. Um, so he he would say, you know, if you're standing and the bar's, um, you know, square onto you, and you need to get the bar, you know, a foot over to the left on back onto the mat yeah. something, don't drag it like don't that. He it. says, get it and roll it, 
roll it round one and then roll it round the other way. Yeah. You know, because um, obviously Mike at work, he's he's pretty uh, pretty hench in terms of that, and he did his back just kind of picking up a a dumbbell to put back on the rack. Yeah, because you, you so I'm guessing he just did a did a twist. So it could have been done that. So I'm doing as much as I can at the moment. Um, so what's the what's the, what's it called? Costochondritis. Like any any solution? I, I don't know. I have I still haven't been to the doctors. I'm gonna have to go to the doctor and see. It could be um, inflammation in the joint, or it could be your hairline crack or something. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, I saw a, I saw a, uh, um, a physio about it, and they said something like, "Oh, um, you might just have to stretch at the, t- at the top." I was like, mm, "That doesn't really help because it might be something underlying. It makes it audible. It makes an audible pop." Yeah, no. Um, so I don't know if have, there might be people listening that do weights or anything. You, you might even know something that's got it, but because um, you have to crack it, put your arms above your head, don't you? And I can lean stretch back. And back and, I mean, it wants to. I think it wants to. It wants to get now. Let's see if I can. There we go. One sec. Hang on, I might have to stand up for it. Ah. Ow. Ah. See, and it's kind of like a pressure, as if you're cracking knuckles, but there's there's pain on it, and it's not it's not good. Um, and it will be. I'll be doing a movement. So, uh, uh, sometimes it happens in handstand movements and things. I'll be doing something, and I'll get to a certain angle, and then the pain will just, and then I can't apply any any yeah, any power. Can't push anymore. Um, so I'm going to have to get that sorted out but um, you could but just I, pay another model you could just get Kaylee to do it all no no I, I like I like getting involved doing the picture myself you see yeah yeah and the poser um, you just like to see, see I mean, so it, won't, it won't take long to write but it, it, it'll be a, a little while before we can take the photos and stuff but even if even though I know it'll it'll, it'll earn money and, and, it, and it's it's sort of a, a, an advanced weight there and things it's um, it wouldn't necessarily be my first choice yeah to yeah. do, you know, because I'm I'm interested in other things. But I know, and I know you've got to do certain projects that you know people are asking for. Yeah, um, that's one of the things with the photography as well. You've got to do the almost I don't want to say boring, but you've got to do the tedious, boring jobs to pay to allow you to do the other stuff. So I mean, yeah. one of the, one of the big one of the big things is uh, music photographers. There's there's very little money in music photography in terms of going out shooting bands, shooting bands live, um, doing promos for them and things like that. So very big uh, music photographers have to do other things to allow them to do their music photography because it just, right. they just don't get enough money for it. So yeah. that, that you'll, you'll find a lot of music photographers might do weddings as well. And I think that's little sort of, bits of commercial and editorial work. I think there are people that create and things that, that do get to do precisely what they want, but yes. they've they you know, they had to have gone through... Set, I mean, my example is, or favourite example, is Metallica. You know, that they've... they've they don't need the money. That they they will never have. They've got enough money for probably a hundred lifetimes. Yeah. So they can go out and they can create. They can write whatever album they want to. Yeah, totally. You know, and if they I want to experiment it. and whatever, they can do. I like the way Marillion do it. Do you know Marillion when they when they um, one of my best friends uh, he lives over in America now. A guy called Ray. Um, he was a big Marillion fan. Got me into them. We went to see them a few times. Went to see them at Manchester. Very very cool live. Um, and they just do encore after encore after encore. You're there forever. And um, the guitarist will do ten minute solos just because he's got his eyes closed and he's just running with it. Uh, the lead the lead singer will play play a cricket bat as he's as he's singing. Really really cool. But they when they when they want to write an album and record an album, they post upon their website. Yeah, we're going to write an album. Pre order here. Don't know what it's going to be called. Don't know what it's going to. Don't know how many. Th- and everybody pre orders the album, which then pays for the production of the album. 
Okay. So they've done it. It's, it's almost, I suppose it's almost like a Kickstarter thing. Yeah. The Kickstarter uh, trend that started now. But yeah. Um, yeah, they advertise their album first and get the money and then go and produce it. Which seems yeah. an interesting way around when you've got that, that amount of fans and that level of fans. I mean, I mean I've, I've also been watching some, um, uh, a, a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're trying to find other talks, and, and I found a. a uh, yeah, you linked that to me. I it to was an audio, just just audio. It was only okay. him. It, sa- it sounded as if it was like a radio show, but it was only him. Yeah. It was almost like a, a one-man podcast. And he was saying, you know, um, loads of different things about you know, you know, multiple projects. And he says you've got to. He says especially don't have Plan B. That's his belief. Don't have Plan B. Only he says plan if, you have, if you only if you only have Plan A, then it has to work. <laughs> um, which I suppose is fine to say if you've. If you've made it, or if you're in a position like Arnie is, yeah. Um, Have you seen Expendables three? Not all of it. I've seen. <laughs> I've seen a bit of it. <laughs> I watched it the day, and I really like the way that they've done that now. Um, like Expendables, the original Expendables, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's it's all the action dudes kind of coming back and doing an action film like like they used to, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's. It's so entertaining. Now, the Expendables three is brilliant. Expendables two, I've not watched yet, so I need to go back and watch I've that because because if it's if it's along the same lines as this, it's just complete tongue in. They're not taking themselves too seriously at all, and there's like in jokes between all of them, but things about uh, Sly having a stroke and things, and and then Arnie halfway through, he's flying, he's flying in a chopper, and he lands, and he just goes. He shouts out the one quote which you quote to me all the time, which is... Get to the chopper. Get to the get chopper. To the chopper. <laughs> he, just, he just lands and he just goes, get to the chopper. And yeah. it just made me laugh. I think it's a great film. Brilliant film. Mm. Um, again, just an entertaining, not taking ourselves too serious kind of film. Yeah, proper, proper spot on. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 speeches. Yeah, like, yeah, multiple projects and things. I, I think he, he... Although it's slightly different because a, a, any project that I've feel like I'll do in the future is going to be related to writing or creating something. I, I, I mean, I don't... I've got no desire to appear on screen or anything else like that. No one would have paid to see me on screen anyway. <laughs> yeah, you had to pay me to take photos of you. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I'm not interested in that at all. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of the, the view of... Uh, Larry David, I, I saw an interview with him, um, creative Seinfeld and star of... of Enthusiasm, which is genius, like yeah. I need um, to watch more of that. Yeah, amazing. But he said... There was ne- people that used to ask him, oh, what, what, wouldn't you play, um, you know, George Costanza or whatever? He's like, he's like, there wasn't even the slightest th- thought that I would even appear on screen. He said, all I wanted to do was write it, get my cheque, and fly back <laughs> to New York. <laughs> and he said, so funny, because he was saying over and over again that, you know, every time it got picked up for, like, oh, we've got to do another series, he's thinking, ah, he's like, th- oh, he used to go home and think, how am I going to quit? I need to, I need to quit. I can't do this. Yeah. How am I going to write 24 episodes or 23 episodes or whatever it was, you know? And then they'd get through it and they'd think, oh God, thank God. That's a- Maybe they won't pick it up for another series. And then they, <laughs> and then they do it. Do. And like, like, go oh, through God. it all again. Rinse you know. and repeat. Um, which is always really, really funny, but it's, um, yeah, I think everything will be, will be to do with writing, but it's, I, I do have that conflict sometimes about what to work on next, what is going to be the right thing. I don't want, the money to be the driving factor. No, no. I don't want that to be the, the driving factor. I want to work on ideas for uh, you know, for their own sake. I don't want to be, regardless of of, of what success I have or don't have, or, or um, I don't want to be. Because I look at people like, say, Michael Bay, and I just think, 
that. But that's the guy that just chases the dollar. Yeah. I could be completely wrong. Yeah. But no, uh, I, 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 be, I don't know, movie, the movie business and everything in the world is more or less about making money. But but I want to do it in a way that that's not the driving force. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it would be possible. I think it's possible to do. You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very fine line, isn't it? Between yeah. doing things that you want to do, but doing things that you want to do which you've got a good idea or a good hunch feeling that will be successful. Yeah. Because um, obviously you wanted to do a complete calisthenics sport. You had a reasonably good idea that it might do reasonably well. Because you put, quite, you, put, you put a lot of time, a lot of resources, and a lot of effort into that book. Yeah. Um, but I didn't... Know. I didn't know that didn't it, know, it, it but would do you... okay. It, yeah, it does okay. I mean, it's not going to be. I don't think it's the type of book that could ever be the most popular book in the world. It's never going to be. I, I didn't envision. I didn't. I don't want it to be that. Um, uh, you know, I wrote it for like-minded people or people that wanted to get into that yeah. type of fitness. I knew that. I know the exercises work. Um, you know, the same as if you you, know, you wrote a, a, a strength and conditioning book and you included deadlifts and squats and power cleans, you, you know, know those exercises are going to work. That's never, ever going to change from now until the end of time. You know, there's, yeah. If your body works against a progressive resistance, it's going to get stronger and fitter and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, because if, if I was interested in the money, that, that sort of thing, I would have written a weight loss book or, or, or I would yeah. have tried to get a celebrity or something on the front and done it under a pen but then on the flip like side that. you would have been fighting you would have been um, competing against all the other weight yeah. and, I, and I don't know if it's about it it's, it's yeah. not my it's not my area of expertise I, you know, which goes again goes back into do what you understand and do and be true to yourself kind of thing yeah right yeah right about what you know we and keep we keep blathering on about that things um, but I, 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 I there's there's a place for people that, that still do you know, like, like Tarantino he, he obviously and Christopher Nolan, they don't need oh. the money anymore. Maybe they did it right at the beginning of their career. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, but I don't think I don't think Tarantino made Reservoir Dogs thinking it was going to be a massive hit. I no, think he, he made, made Reservoir he... Dogs because he made Reservoir Dogs because he could make it because he wanted. And to then it's exactly the same with Pulp Fiction. And I'm guessing this the same kind of thing. Well, you kind of get the inkling that it is the same kind of thing with Christopher Nolan because he wrote Memento because he wanted to write Memento, and then what was the uh, Inception? He did Inception. Nobody that was. If you kind of look at it in a critical point, uh, critical viewpoint, it's not even a blockbuster. In terms of yeah, this guy is going to break into somebody's dream and steal. It's quite a, a high a, concept yeah. film. It's 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 complex. It's, but it's he not a simple to, yeah. beginning, middle, end of. Uh, no, totally. Um, but then he he wrote that and kind of got it all down. He said he, he, he wanted to write it. It took him 10 years to kind of finish so off the script and everything. So he wanted admire. to do it because, yeah, totally. Yeah, they're just, they're just, I mean, obviously they've, Kevin been... Smith has now written three films because of one podcast. Yeah. It's, I mean, I it's, you can argue, yeah, you do need to listen to more of his stuff. He is, he's just some of the conversations that he, what, he's having a, the podcast that I'm listening to at the moment with him, he's interviewing Chris Jericho, who's the wrestler. Uh, he's Canadian. Uh, but it turns out that he's also uh, a triple best-selling novelist. Uh, he's a musician. Uh, yeah, he's bonkers. Really? And uh, what was it? Real polymath. Yeah, real polymath. He was. He wanted to be a wrestler when he was sixteen. Went to the wrestling school and got told that he couldn't do it until he was eighteen because he's not allowed to wrestle until he was eighteen. So he went to journalist school for two years. 
Okay. So he did. Yeah. So he did journalism. I think it was journalism. It was some kind of writing school anyway. So he went to journalism school for two years and then came back out and did wrestling and then went all the way through the wrestling thing and then kind of left wrestling and started writing and it's just like yeah proper, mm. proper full on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some of the just some of the conversations that he has, uh, I keep linking them to you—the inspirational ones and the ones where he's talking to writers and stuff. But uh, oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. At some point, you will listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we'll do a whole podcast all about Ash finally listening to go Kevin Smith podcast. Yeah, I do. I do have. I start to do. I do start to listen to things like that, and then I, uh, something will happen, or I'll, I'll yeah. get consumed in, in some sort of. Well, there's so many to listen to now as well. And so many things because obviously I've been um, I do lots of automotive photography so I'm trying to trying to keep abreast of everything that's moving um, with that uh, watching YouTube videos and YouTube playlists and uh, researching archery because I'm exactly the same with you as soon as I want to do something I do it wholeheartedly yeah um, so looking into that there's uh, an automotive photographer that I know called Nigel Harneman who's just made uh, well, he, he made a photograph of a was it a Yamaha Yamaha CBR? Oh, no, that's a Honda CBR. A Yamaha R1. I think it was a Yamaha R1 motorbike. He, he light painted it with a homemade LED light stick that he made, and um, I sent him a message saying, "Oh, could you just give me some details about the light stick? Was it a was it an LED torch, etc." Yeah. And um, he sent me a message back. Yeah, it's a homemade homemade one. I used it like this. Uh, it's a tube. To which you can cut the length, cut in half lengthways, stick a torch in the middle of it to light it up, um, and then you can open the camera shutter and then paint paint with light to get the uh, car out, which is something that I want to do uh, because would you have to Photoshop yourself out of it or something? Or how, how would you no, because the, because the exposure is so long uh, and there's so little light coming in, you can stand because you're moving around it. It never picks you up. It never picks up enough light from you to be in the picture. Oh, so the right. only thing that's in the picture is wow. something that's the only thing that's in the picture is something that's there for thirty seconds or more. Um or has got enough light on it from the light stick to, to get shown up, which is why the light stick walking around the car works. Right. Um, so things like that. Um so I want to make a I want to make a light stick. I need to make a I need to make a car rig so I can do some rolling shots. Um but like the kind of stuff the kind of style that I like in my photography is the contrasty dark shadows and then the nice bright car like you said you said a couple of times that oh it, it looks like the only thing that's in the photograph is the car yeah. the only thing that you see in the photograph is the yeah. car and that's that's kind of where I'm trying to get to um, I like I like the fact that I've cut everything else out and there's no more there's no distractions so the only thing that's there is the car and it's, it's almost like when you take a portrait you need to make if I take a portrait of you now I make sure that there's nothing coming out of your head in the background so there's not I've not taken a photograph of you with a tree coming out of your head, so it's head in a clear spot. Whenever you're taking a portrait, it's, you need to put your head in a clear spot. So whenever I'm taking a photograph of a car, I'm trying to put the car in a clear spot. Nothing sticking out of it, no trees coming out of the bonnet or anything like that. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very easy to do, you just need to adjust your angle uh, or move the car. But yeah, it's just things like that. So if I could light paint as well, then you obviously you've got the contrast, and you can make everything else a lot darker. I'll show you the picture in a bit. But mm. um, I mean, if you search for, if anybody's listening, if you search for Nigel Harneman, uh, and it's his latest, I think I'm pretty sure it's a Yamaha R1, something along those lines, Yamaha R6 or something. It's a red one, but um, it's very very contrasty, dark at dark dark corners. Mm. But um, yeah, I kind of just need to. 
head towards things like that and need to, like you say, project manage and make sure you're doing the right things at the right time. Yeah. Because um, everybody's got enough time in the day. Everybody has enough time in the day. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I've, 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 I've tried to get a little bit on, on top of my day-to-day planning, you know, yeah. what I'm doing from hour to hour. Um, and that way I'll make sure that I do the most. I mean, I, the missus sometimes gets on about overworking and things like that, but it, it's just, you know, I don't want to be... It's not that I don't... I mean, I, I want to be writing until I'm old and grey or whatever, yeah. until I physically or mentally can't do it any longer. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose that's a good thing about writing as well, the longevity of it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now. We want to have, start a family maybe in the next... You know, we've been talking about it quite a bit recently. But, you know, in the next maybe... I don't know. It depends how well, well the project's going and stuff, how, how much... Um, what sort of money they bring in, but it's... Um, only that so we can set it set ourselves up, you know. I don't want to be yeah. one of those people that, um, uh, yes, yeah, obviously nothing wrong with it, but I don't want to have to go out to work when, um, you know, we have, we have a child. I don't want Siobhan to have to work, yeah, yeah, you know, after, after she's just given birth for how long she wants, you know. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of got loads of time, but not enough time, yeah, at the yeah, same yeah, time. yeah, loads of time, you yeah, know, but not uh, enough time. I've given myself of... sort of until I'm 35 to get a few projects done and dusted and if I have to work and sleep less and a bit of stress and stuff like that, I don't think, you know, so, so be it. it. Um, I just thought of something actually, just where, um, I watched a lecture by a guy called Jeremy England, American guy, he's a, he's a biophysicist. Okay, that name is he's working on, why. he's working on abiogenesis, which is um, the, the, uh, the creation of life. Okay. Or the, the, uh, uh, um, Building blocks. The, no, not actually the building blocks, but the the moment when non life non life turned into life, or what we okay, call, what yeah. we call life. Um, a lot of it went over my head. Yeah, as as, as it does. But the, he he says, well, there's there's two distinctions. There's evolution is is uh, describes how species can um, adapt and change and become other species. This abiogenesis describes how life arose. So uh, okay. Darwin and, and uh, it just, just describes how um, complexity, complexity can arise and how yeah. adaptation and things work and how the environment has pressure on a, on a population. So he's discussing that first sort of moment. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. He, he's he's, trying, to find, or he's trying to dictate how things can go. And he's, he's saying that um, the overall trend in the universe is for entropy to increase. Yes. Which yeah. is disorder to yeah. increase. Yeah. So he says... Living things are, are very good at doing one thing, isn't it? and that's um, giving off energy to the environment. Yeah, because he says if you shine light on rocks, then yeah, they'll give they'll give some they'll give some energy back to the environment, but not a lot. Yeah, he says if you put energy into a living system like a human, they give a lot of energy back. back. You know, they require a lot of energy okay. to run. It means they put a lot of energy back into the system. Um, so he. The long and short of it is, he says that life is is inevitable. Inevitable. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's, a, it's as inevitable as a as a rock rolling down a hill. It has to happen because the laws of gravity dictate that a rock will roll down a hill. Yes. Um, and he says, you know, it, he says it could be just as just as um, inevitable that life arises where the conditions are suited for life. So maybe on Mars, it did once. It can't now because there's not there isn't a, a yeah. thick atmosphere. Um, there's not a warm chemical bath that, that, that these molecules can interact in but on earth there is so he says that anyway we find conditions where life can arise it, it will. will 
It's an inevitability. So he says it's no, there's nothing really special about it. It's you hear that sound, Mister Anderson? That is the sound of inevitability. I like that line. So which is very, very interesting. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of the lecture that I didn't understand, a lot of equations that I didn't understand. Um, but overall, the, the basic premise. And is you love that... it when they write equations up. Yeah, like yeah, when it, physicists it's, it's, write equations up on a board. But he's, like, he's what he's saying here. Hell, are you right? He says you'll see um, inorganic chemicals and, and molecules and stuff organize themselves into structures um, based on the frequency um, of the system or the energy in the system, something yes. like that. Yeah. So he says it, it's, and he says that's exactly what what life is doing. He says we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised to to, to find life. Um, which you, which then, you, then because on the flip side of because that, energy, it, uh, he said energy in the universe always takes the path of the least resistance. Yes. So it would be it would be more work or more effort for there not to be life. Yeah. Because there are more way, there's more ways there's of more ways. Of, of energy being dissipated through the universe with life, especially on the, on yeah. the earth, and yeah. there than there is when there's not. That's um, interesting. Isn't it? Quite, I mean, quite hard to get your head around and. and it's not. It's not uh, done and dusted. They haven't. They haven't looked into it enough yet. From hit from you. That's what I gathered from his talk. Um, but it would certainly be. It would certainly be a very elegant and a very um, pleasing explanation. Life is inevitable. Yeah. Hey, Jackie Potatoes. I just got to turn that thing off. Yeah, no worries. Um, so the un- the un- unerring certainty of inevitability. So it. it I, I, it makes sense. It, it, it's. I remember watching a, a lecture by Lawrence Krauss, and he said um, physicists knew what you know the geometry of the universe. They knew the answer. Yeah. They didn't. They they didn't have the, the equations, or they didn't have the um, uh, the numbers and the data to support to prove it, it. But they knew it. That yeah, it was, it was the most mathematically beautiful. It yeah. was. It was made the most sense. And then when they finally got numbers through, oh, well, it turns out that it okay. is. Yeah. Um, whether that's the case or not, I mean, I, I don't know, and, and obviously there's not enough research been done into it, but it was, there must be an answer, um, you know, and that, that would be, that would be, that would be a good answer. I mean, if, if you know, it, it, it's, um, I mean, I don't know, I don't understand enough about the, the I, I just, I just think that somewhere, somewhere there is a really simple answer some somewhere out there is a, like a really simple answer to 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 everything and it's not going to be one of these massive long um oh, no, well, do, do you see the the human universe where brian cox draws uh or writes the the laws of the universe on a, on a yeah. cricket scorecard and yeah, then he yeah. goes right well here's the actual rules of cricket yeah. and he says it's cricket's more... more complicated than the universe you know yeah. it says but out of simple rules, complex things can start to. But, I mean, they're still trying. They're still trying to define what light is. They still don't know whether it's a quantum or a wave or. It's, it's both it's, at the same time. It's, yeah, it's both. Well, at the it same can act as a particle and a wave. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. But it's. I mean, how how does that happen? How can it be a particle and a wave at the same time? But yeah, it's. That, well, that's the thing about the the, the quantum. It, it it's. It's not the the world. The, it's not the classical world. They're not no. classical objects. You know, yeah. it, it's. Like it, like when a tennis ball takes a, spe- a specific arc, you know, if you know the force that you've applied to it, you know, you know, you know exactly where it's going to go. Electron, you know, it, it takes like I think Brian Cox said it takes every every path at the same time. At the same time, which is completely counterintuitive. But the, it's I've heard that quantum electrodynamics is the most accurate discipline in all of science. Oh really? Yeah, they they can predict things with like ten decimal places places worth of accuracy or, or something like that. Um, 
And it, yeah, it's it's the most it's the most tested because there's, um, there's a current verified. I can't remember the name of the professor actually, but there's a there's a uh, series that's um, going at the moment which is all about thermodynamics, which I'll I'll link to you. Um, those of you who are in the UK, you can find it. It's a BBC BBC three one. I can't remember the name of the professor, but he's a guy who's done loads of Horizon programs as well uh, before. Is he a Japanese guy? No, oh, he's bald. Uh, he's bald professor. I can't remember his name. Bother. Oh, bother. We can never remember names. Really the poo? No, we can't remember it's names. But no, I can't remember his name. And he's doing he's doing a series, and I think it's on episode two at the moment. Uh, and the last we the last episode, I think I was talking about that uh, trying to trying to prove Einstein's quantum theory. Um, and then lots of people kind of going, well, well, this is true as well because I've just proven that. I said, well, how can both of these be true? Well, because light is both at the same time, and it was it was that kind of um, wave and a particle at the same time thing. So the second second episode I've not watched yet, but that that one's just come out, and that's that's the kind of that's the kind of TV program that I can watch. Mm. I can watch just just. I mean, I still watch Wonders of the Soul System over and over again. Yeah, but I've watched the Human Universe a few times. Yeah, Human Universe as well. Just I love it when he's he's walking underneath the the Saturn Five, oh. and he gets to stage the stage two, and he goes, oh, you know, at the time this was the biggest and most powerful, one of the most biggest and powerful he's ever made." And then he's like, <clears throat> "But that was, but the the, yeah, the the number one spot was this stage yeah. one, and it's just like even bigger, and it's just yeah. and the camera pans out, and he's just like." I can't Jesus. even imagine because we went to the we thing. went to the space uh, the science museum in London. Myself and Lindsay went to the science museum in London a few months ago, and uh, we got to the space section and we were walking through the space station. The space section, and there was one thruster from the Apollo space shuttle. Oh, like the F one engine. Yeah, just one, and it was standing up there. And I got to it, and I just stopped. I was dumbstruck. Just, just, just one of these thrusters that was just standing there with all the pipe work, all the engineering that had gone into it. That was the first thing that that just shut me up kind of thing I was just I couldn't say anything yeah. I think I must have taken about 50 photos of it uh, all all identical <laughs> they're all yeah. the same photograph because yeah. I was just like click click wow click and then the other thing was uh, the rock from the moon okay just just a, just a little rock in a little glass cabinet that was suspended on two bits of wire so it was two bits of wire in, and then it was the rock suspended in the middle and I was like shit that's a piece of moon rock and that was another thing that was just like, uh, yeah, that's a piece of the moon. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't quite. I was, a bit, I was a bit dumbstruck with both those things. So I've got a really nice photo actually. If you go on my Facebook page, stage one had five yeah. of those. Yeah, five. Five F1 engines. Yeah. So like incredible. Five thousand working parts. Or, or that's one of my favourite photos parts. as well. Just just of the moon rock. Mm. It's, it's it's beautiful. Um, what would it be like if um, if the rover ever comes back and it's got a piece of Mars? Because that's very that's very iron orientated, isn't it? They must send send stuff back. They must be able to get stuff back. Sure. Oh, it's uh, ten months, by the way. Ten months. Ten months to two Mars. Ten months to Mars, because the last the last rover mission set off in November two thousand and ten and landed in October or September September two thousand and eleven. So it took ten months to get there. Wow. Uh, I'm guessing now, four years down the line, we'd be able to get there a little bit quicker. So eight months is probably about that. Right. I suppose it depends where the orbits are as well. Yeah, I've got a. I've oh, that was that was the thing because yeah. I was talking to I was talking to a guy called Craig Halfgrove, who's uh, on the Guardian radio show. Yeah. And he was ta- saying that um, you can only go to Mars once every two years because of the. I've never even realised this before because of where the where the planets are. Yeah, it's yeah. only it's only once every two years that the Earth and the Mars are actually in line to be able to get to well, the other planet because otherwise they're on the opposite sides of the solar system. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I yeah. completely yeah, never, yeah, never realised that before. Yeah. And uh, it's obviously very, very obvious, but uh, um, it never tweaked. So, yeah, once I, every two years. Have you that solar system scope? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a program called. Uh, sort of, it's an app called uh, Solar System Scope. You can get it for iPhone. I mean, I've got it for, on my Mac downstairs. Yeah. And you can. It's a. It's a working solar system, and you can speed it up, rewind it, and everything else like that. Wow. So you can see where the planets are at, at any time. date you want. Year three thousand, if you want, That's because I was so trying cool. to work out for the TV series, right? Well, which order could they go in? Yeah. Well, and it turns out that that they would have to launch on tw- uh, sort of mid twenty seventeen. Yeah. That then they would get to uh, that. That would mean the Earth was at the bottom of the picture, say. Yeah. Um, Venus would be just above. Mercury will be coming around, so they could go Venus, Mercury. Then Mars would be the other way around, so they'd have to slingshot around the sun or use right. one of the other planets and get to, to Mars that way. That'd be cool. I, you need, we around. need to we need to get that app and rewind it. I think it's nineteen. When, when did the Voyager spacecraft? Nineteen seventy two. Yeah, was it seventy two? It went off. Uh, we need to rewind it and see and have a look and see where all the planets are well, it's got in nineteen seventy two because also, that was um, that was the time when you could slingshot between all of them. And get well, it's got the Rosetta Stone thing on there as well, and you can play and you can see like the, the, the trajectories that they took. Yeah. And it, it go, it did so many loops of, of Earth, the Moon, another place, just gravity slingshots, just trying to get the speed up each time. And oh, really? It, yeah, loads and loads before it finally went went off and tried to catch it. Cool. Because it had to keep getting the speed up, and then when the comet came past, it had to go around and catch up from behind. Because it couldn't obviously go, it couldn't obviously come head on. Yeah. Because, you know, one of them's doing whatever, a thousand miles an hour, the other's doing whatever, a thousand miles gone. an hour. It can't slow down, and then it'd have to go try, try go backwards, you know. Um, cool. Awesome. So all these things have to be planned out, you know, mega in advance and stuff. But I mean, that's one of those things that's just. Uh, what is the solar system on a flat plane? Uh, for the most part, yeah. There, uh, Pluto is not apparently. So that's that's a bit of an angle. So uh, everything else is pretty much on a flat plane and orbits. More or less, yeah. Okay. I think so. I wonder why that is. Well, because the. It's just the obviously the the gravity well or or the warping of space time. Um, that the, the sun employs is like a, 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 a will just the planets will tend to do that. Yeah, I suppose the gravitational pull of each of the planets would eventually flatten everything out. Well, it's, because it's, if you've got one that's high and one that's low, they'll pull each other flat. Well, you know the, 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 say, the, say you have the bowling ball in, in between yeah, yeah. the sheet. Yeah. Obviously, you know it, it goes in like this, doesn't it? But it goes oh, in like okay. that from oh, every yeah, angle. Yeah, yeah. So if you roll, if you rolled that coin round it or something, or a ball, okay. yeah, yeah. it, would, it would go like that. It, that it, to do. To do that would be, we could do that. It could do that because it's not because there are any solar systems that do. Oh, I thought so. Yeah, must be. Because there are some with two, aren't there? Apparently, ours is quite unusual to just have one star. Yeah, Um, but apparently that's that's not the norm. Um, That'd be cool to see what the orbits are like with two stars. You'd end up with figure of eight orbits, wouldn't you? It's likely. Yeah, might do if they're far enough away. I suppose. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know whether you will be able to get a figure of eight orbits. Probably, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Wow, I need to find that out. That's intrigued know. me now. What's the, what's the orbit? What's the orbit of a? What's the orbit of a planet when you've got two? I suppose the stars would have to be far enough away from each other. Because at the point when the gravity takes over from one to another, it needs to be going slow enough to then change the orbit back to another to the other star. Yeah. I'd have thought it'd play yeah, havoc with, with the planet yeah, itself. It's just going to be twisted and get pulled this way and that. Um, you know, by the, by the gravity. 
Awesome. That's spot on. Right, you got anything else? Uh, I think that was about it, wasn't it? There we go, wrap it up. Just, yeah, I just remember that. What the last, what the last so we're doing, uh, we're coming to mine next week? You want to do what? one before Christmas? Uh, I'm away from the t- from Christmas Eve, so I could probably do, so the, do the Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, I could definitely do the Tuesday. Let's do the Tuesday, and that would be the one before Christmas. Yeah. Um, cool. And then I'm back the first, I think. I think I'm going to go down to Bristol over Christmas, and then we're at uh, a friend Bristol. of mine's. Bristol! Mm. I love that place, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I've, actually, this time I'm going to go down and try and take a ton of photos. Um, yeah. I'm just going to kind of walk around. Because it's a lovely, it's a it's a strangely lovely place. Because um, I think we've talked about in the past about environments and social social places breeding those sorts of um, individuals. Yeah. Um, so whether individuals sit into social environments or whether social environments breed into those kind of individuals. Yeah, whether they're but, shaped by each other. Yeah, but Bristol's just a... It seems to be an enigma because it's such a such a pretty little... I don't know, I want to say run down, but it's a bit harsh to say it's run down. It's very, it's very industrial uh, and it still retains a lot of its old industrial charm I think I, I love the place and the people down there are cool as well yeah I need to go I need to go one day I don't think I've ever really visited I must have been through it at some point yeah. I think we even came through it you probably went through it to Plymouth yeah, down it the M5 yeah we would have done down, down the M5 to Plymouth mm. so yeah I'm going to go there so next next week it'll be at mine uh, and I'll cook some lunch or something Tuesday, yeah. and we'll talk about pre-Christmas pie math what cool. you're going to do over the Christmas holidays right spot on right, cool. cheers buddy cheers there we go oh, see you next week then yep see you later Oh, how do we turn this thing off? Click.